Welcome to episode 138 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Sacramer trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to sycomber.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, we're recognizing the 10-year anniversary of PsychArmor with a conversation with the founder of PsychArmor, Marjorie Morrison. Marjorie is a licensed marriage and family therapist, licensed professional clinical counselor, and the author of The Inside Battle, Our Military Mental Health Crisis. You can find out more about Marjorie by checking out her bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Marjorie, welcome back, uh, obviously, to PsychArmor, but thank you so much for joining us on the show today, especially to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of PsychArmor, this organization that really, out of your passion and your knowledge and your drive that you built with a team from the beginning. Um, before we get into sort of the where PsychArmor origin stories, I'd like to offer you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself and how your connection to the military, how PsychArmor came about. Absolutely. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. And in some ways, I can't believe it's been 10 years because that feels like a long time. In some ways, it feels like it should be 20 years because it feels like a lifetime ago. But, but very excited and just very grateful for the team under Tina's leadership to keep it growing and thriving, I think is how lucky am I that I get to be here 10 years later to a growing, thriving organization, nonprofit. So I think that's great. My story of how I got into the whole military space is probably unlike most because I came in with zero military or veteran experience at all. I did not come from a military family. I grew up in an area of Los Angeles, a Jewish, pretty much all Jewish, kind of maybe upper middle class, I'd say neighborhood. I didn't know anyone in the military. I really didn't. I had a preconceived idea of the kind of person that goes into the military, um, but I didn't know anything about it. And I had a serendipitous opportunity to go do some short-term counseling. Um, it was supposed to be very short term, just as a chance to kind of work with the military. It was, I think, in 2008, 2009. I'm really dating myself. I had been in private practice for quite a while at that point. I think, you know, probably over a decade or so. And I thought, wow, this would be really nice to take a five-week, six-week break and go work with the military. And when I got there, I got to MCRD, which is the Marine Corps Recruit Depot, so boot camp for west of the Mississippi. It was right like by the airport in San Diego, blown in and out of there. I don't even know, 100 times, never that that was there. And I went in and I was just, and for any, I bet you any civilian could relate to this because you get in and you're like, wow, this is a mini microcosm of life. There's a bowling alley and schools and a Starbucks and a movie theater and 
all the things that you would see in a, a place to get your hair cut and at Kim Pendleton, I'm like, wait, there's a Walmart, you know, or the exchange, you know, oh. like, so had all of these things. And I was just kind of blown away that this whole world existed. The problem was it during that time was the height of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. So in order to be a drill instructor, you had to have had at least two deployments. So it was a pretty at risk um, population, if you will. And this was kind of their B billet or, you know, they kind of earned the right for this opportunity. But yet they were coming in for counseling. So this was at a time where I always say whenever someone talks about stigma, I was on a call last week on a big anti-stigma campaign. And I'm like, stigma, like it's nothing like I'm like so old right now. It's nothing like it used to be back in the day. But yes, back in the day, stigma was very, very real. And they had me in family advocacy, which I you probably know this kind of where you oftentimes would be seen if there was a allegation of domestic violence or something. So most people weren't really walking in just because they wanted to work on their mental health. And so being there, I thought there was got to be another way. We've got to think of a creative way. I'm being paid to do counseling and they're not coming in. So I got very, very lucky that I had innovative Marine Corps leadership at the time. And they were very aware of the issue that their drill instructors were having. And so we developed a mandatory, we call it proactive counseling program. We started with individuals and groups. And so in a three-month boot camp, I did individual sessions with everyone. So there's all the different companies. So every week there was a new recruit group starting. This was just with the drill instructors. And then halfway through, I did groups with there's a whole hierarchy to drill instructors that put them all in groups together. And I loved it. And I just became really, just really obsessed with this notion of why do we make people go get help? Like we don't, we, why not just bring it to them? So did that scale day, got the opportunity to go to Camp Pendleton and work with infantry there. And now here we are, however many years later, and the concept of mandatory proactive counseling is is in place for every single solitary Marine. Super amazing opportunity that I got and I learned so much. And I will I always look back at those as some of like the absolute best times in my life. It was great. I'm so glad that you brought that story up because I was going to bring it up if you hadn't, because even, and you and I had spoken a number of years ago, but that has always stuck with me is just the idea. And I think before you said everyone from the commanding general, all the way down to the, the individual that just started their, their drill sergeant journey, it was, they didn't have a choice. And for some of them, it was just a check in, Hey, as if there's anything wrong and really there isn't, but for a number of them, they started to identify some things that, yes, I am having problems that I wouldn't have disclosed voluntarily. But since we're here, let's talk about them. It was really innovative, not even just then, but really the way that um, especially military mental health can be done today. And you know what's really interesting is that it's oftentimes for someone else. It's oftentimes I'm worried about my kid. I'm worried about my spouse or my really good friend. And so sometimes it is helping someone to you know, get connected to services for them, but sometimes it's helping them help someone else get connected to services. And as we know, you know, the role of the peer and, you know, support system and training them is huge and so critical. I always found that to be super interesting too, where people would have a much easier time opening up about how they're trying to help their father 
or their their buddy or something like that. And over, you know, the ease of talking about themselves. But yeah, I think that's a unique aspect of military culture, right? You know, is I, I'm always there to cover my shield covers my brother and sister, right? I am there to cover someone. Uh, and then there's, of course, the someone needs to cover me. Um, and if I'm always the one trying to help someone else, I, I had a mentor of mine who used to say that when a veteran goes to counseling and here he was talking suspects counseling, one of three things, your lawyer, your lover, or your liver. It's with your health or you got into <laughs> trouble in some way or a family member said, but in this instance, it was, it, it was for everyone and they got to be able to disclose a lot of that. And so I think, as you had mentioned, that was really the start of your journey with military mental health. You had been a clinician for a while. And then I think that led into the power of education, the power of teaching people who are supporting service members the need to learn about military culture. Is that really where PsychArmor started? Yeah. You know, what happened was my learning curve was really steep. Mm. And because I, I often tell this story and I'll share with you, this is the dummy version of how PsychArmor got started. But my very first time I got to be in front of the Marines, we had a an XO of second battalion and he said he he's with one of those that said to me, so he tells the story very similarly, but that he said, Oh, I'm gonna talk to the 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 CO and the commander and let's see if we can have you come and meet with them together, which was like as a group, which was what I had pitched to him. So I said, Okay, and I'm like walking back and I have this little phone that was, you know, part of the program I was doing. And he calls me and he says, okay, great news. I got it approved. The hats will be ready for you at 1400. And I'm like, a hat? What's a 1400? Like, I, hey, I knew Am nothing. I wearing 1400 hats? I what's going on? I, I had no clue. And I like remember going back to the office and I'm like trying to find everything I can find on the internet of what to do. And I go and I walk into this room and, you know, I'm right on time. 1400. I show up right on time. I'm the last one there because I didn't know in the military that if you're on time, you're late. And I walk in and everybody stands up and I'm like, what, where, who are they standing for? And I see these, I mean, you know, you can imagine 30 big men, drill instructors of these big old hats. And I like had sheer panic. Like I'm an idiot. Like I never thought about what I was going to say and do. I had done so much group therapy in private practice, it never like, and I remember saying, okay, why don't we, and it was rows of seats. I'm like, why don't we turn these chairs into a circle? Because to me, I was trying to buy time. If you get 30 drill instructors, that takes all of five seconds. You no, know? I, I sat down and I said, okay, why don't we go around the room and everybody say their name and where they're from? And that's a really common civilian thing to do. Like if you said to me, oh, Marjorie, where are you from? I'd say, oh, I grew up in L.A. I lived in San Diego for 25 years. And now I split my time between Nashville and New York City, right? But I said it to this group and the first Marine stood up and he says, hello, ma'am. I'm Staff Sergeant. I don't remember. And he said, I'm confused with your question. What do you mean? Where am I from? I'm from B Battery. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My last duty station, my like, and I, I, in that moment, I truly learned about cultural humility and that no matter what, I didn't know anything about them and I needed to learn. And so I got this opportunity to have humility and just to 
ask. And I would ask questions all the time, like the annoying person when I say, you know, they'd say things like, oh, they threw him under the bus. And I'd say, what does that mean? Did they actually throw him under the bus? <laughs> and I would just ask all these questions again and again. And so the impetus of psych armor was really all I could think about was how could I help someone? Like, so we think about less than 1% of our country serves. We have about 10% that are military connected. So post the draft, you have 90% of Americans who really have, like me, don't have very much connection to the military. And so how do we help? And, and by the way, I think that 90%, we all love the military and we love veterans and we want to help. We just don't know how. But when you think about, okay, someone leaves the military and they go into the veteran space, like civilian America, like where their safety net. And I just remember Dr. Carrie Rogers, who saw at Psych Armor, used to say the safety net has all these holes in it. So if you think about it, you go to become an employer and we're your employers, even though we might not know how to really help a veteran be successful at work. If you then want to use your commercial insurance from your employer, we're now your healthcare providers. We might not understand the veteran space. If you want to use the nonprofits that exist, you know, those volunteers may not know. And there's all of these aspects. And I just thought there was a training that did exist and you would have to go to Sacramento and spend a bunch of money and I'd have to fly and give up a few days. And I didn't have it. Like I didn't have the time. And I just remember I couldn't sell myself on the idea of spending the money. I thought there's got to be a way where you can learn online and someone could come in and really learn these different aspects of military culture so that everybody could be prepared to help our veterans that do so much to protect our country. So that was the impetus of psych armor. But yeah, I think so much of that is really about how, what, how could we create some kind of a platform that doesn't cost anything and allows people to come in and learn to make support. And I think that's really a couple of different things with that. One, you saw a need and had the ability to instruct and teach. I mean, that's sometimes what clinicians can do. It's, it's psychoeducation, right? So many times we're, we're educating our clients on things and, and helping them understand things. And this is just doing that on a bigger scale. But then also, it's not just teaching those who don't have military experience about military culture. It then also evolved into now you have to teach the other way. Because when I left the military in 2014, I had to learn all of those terminologies. I had to learn how to interact with an employer who didn't know my culture in the same way. And so then it also shifted to courses to support service members as they're transitioning to learn about post-military culture. Yes, absolutely. Do I think that was like a big, it was a big piece of it too. It's just you know what? It's very hard to have credibility in the space when you never served, you know? So it was easier for me to go after the civilian side, being a civilian. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I used to sit in those TAPS classes just so I could learn about what was being taught, what wasn't being taught and all of that. And But it was sometimes I just, I'm like amazed that I even pulled it off because it is so hard to do it when you haven't served. You know, like a lot of times people are a spouse or, you know, they're connected in some way. I didn't even have the connection. I would just became obsessed. They used to say at the Marine Corps all the time that I drank the Kool-Aid. They were always like, oh, Marjorie, like totally drank the Kool-Aid. But like I did. Like I was literally obsessed. And I think you have to be obsessed. And I also can't underestimate that I was very fortunate because we had Becky Moore's a big philanthropist who gave me $2 million to start Psych Armor. 
So she said she gave me a million the first year, 500,000 the second year and 500,000 the third year so that I could focus on, you know, building and not have to focus on raising money, which so many times is such a key piece to a nonprofit. And I didn't have to do that. And while I was there, we never once asked individuals to pay. Our funding model was that, you know, corporations sponsored the content that we made available at no cost. So that worked out well. And we had amazing sponsors like the Howard Schultz Foundation, Starbucks and the Bob Woodrow Foundation and USAA and Comcast, NBC Universal and Prudential. So it was really amazing, amazing sponsors that came in to support the, the work that we were doing, which was great. I think another interesting thing, amazing thing really about PsychArmor and not just PsychArmor, but a lot of what I personally call sort of the new wave of veteran serving organizations. You didn't try to be all things to all people. Like you did not say, I'm going to do fitness and community advocacy and education, right? Because fitness, that's what RWB does. And that's what Mission Continue does. That really you saw a node of expertise that you had, education, online education, on demand, that you really focused on that piece and let other organizations do their other pieces, which is a little bit of a philosophical shift in veteran serving organizations. I will say that the, my core key principle has always been about collaboration. I just believe that we all can do so much more when we work together. And the best way to collaborate is to say, I'm good at this. You're good at that. I'll help you. You know, and Psych Hub has like over 800 partners, right? We collaborate with so many organizations. Um, that's the organization, obviously, that I'm with now. But I used a lot of that same principle. Like if someone's doing it, you don't need to do that. Um, and then how do we amplify what they're doing? And how do we help support? And then how can they amplify, you know? And that's when the real magic happens when collaboration happens. And I, I agree with you. I think it's happening more and more and more now. And I just, I love seeing it. I love that I've had the opportunity to be a founder to two different organizations that built on the thesis around collaboration. I, I think it's amazing. Uh, obviously, I am a fan of PsychArmor. I personally appreciate and have always appreciated the efforts of PsychArmor uh, and the work that you did in founding the organization and where it's grown to. I guess before we wrap up, any last thoughts? I, I know you, it's it's been 10 years and it can be both a long time and almost a blink of the eye. Did you anticipate that this is where it was going to be when you founded it? No, I mean, it's so funny because people have been asking me that a lot recently about Psych Hub as I'm working on a transition there as well. And I would say like when you start something, become, and I think any founder is going to tell you this, like you become so obsessed with solving a problem or creating a solution to a problem that you can't think, you can't get beyond sort of what's like right in front of you. I think where I got really lucky. I've had a lot of luck along the way, met a lot of amazing people. But, you know, at the end of the day, it becomes about people. And I think Psych Armor got really lucky that that we brought in Tina when I, you know, announced my transition out and that she's done a really nice job as we were just talking about, like, I love building things from scratch. That's my favorite thing. I love building, starting things, creating things. I don't love the growing and scaling phase, you know, it's just not like really my skill set. And and I feel good like at this stage of my life, like I know what my superpowers are and I want to lean into them more. But how lucky am I 
and a site garmer and the community that uses it that we got someone like Atina that was able to come in and you know sustain it and grow it and all of that. And that's what I would say is like I would hope every founder gets that experience to know that like you can leave it. And it's going to go and it's going to be good and and that you don't have to worry about it. So I, I feel very lucky. Not everybody gets that. Right. I think there was an element of luck in it. But so I would say, you know, I would I would say that and and just I miss the connection to the military. I've been very at Psychub really has very little efforts with the military at all. But I will say that a couple, maybe a month ago, I went to the VA had their first partner conference and we are actually official partners of the VA Psych Hub. And I went and it was so much fun seeing so many of my old friends. It was it was amazing. So that's great. I feel very lucky. Yes. And and I think that many people are very lucky that that you and the team that built Psych Armor all those years ago saw a need and met the need. And so on behalf of all of the people who I know are using Psych Armor to do exactly what you had wanted to do, I appreciate you. I thank you. Um, if people wanted to find out more about you, maybe connect with you, maybe some of the things that you're doing, how could they do that? LinkedIn is always a great place. Marjorie Morrison. I do love LinkedIn. It's my favorite social media. I used to be like so big on Twitter and Facebook and I let all of that just lapse because I didn't have time, but I do LinkedIn and Instagram. So anyone can reach out to me and connect with me on LinkedIn. And then also my Instagram, I think it's Marjorie M. Very original. But yeah, I always like love to hear from people and talk to people. And oh, just actually right before this, I just had a conversation with somebody that reached out, to be honest, that had read my book and I'd done like similar kind of work and is looking to scale it. And I was like, okay, you know, so I'm always... Like I said, it's collaboration, right? It's like at this stage, there's so much need and people have so much passion. And I think we really now know that when you have a sense of purpose in your life, you are happier. And so I think for all of us to be able to spend maybe not all of our time, but part of our time doing things that really matter to us. Um, so I say that and I always will support anyone and everyone who Let's go follow their passion, follow their dreams and all of that. And they love working and mentoring people like startup CEOs, especially because it's so hard. <laughs> so happy to chat with anyone. Oh, I should also say, and of course, Psych Hub, <laughs> which is www.psychhub, P-S-Y-C-H-H-U-B. Absolutely. I'll make sure that links to those profiles are in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. So there you have it. Conversation about the origins of PsychArmor. Everyone loves an origin story, right? So we thought, what better way to celebrate 10 years of providing education to those who support service members, veterans, and their families than to share a conversation with the person who brought it all together. It's often said that it's important to celebrate the wins, and 10 years of providing education is an important milestone. It's paradoxical in that it may not seem that long ago, but it also is a long time ago. When Sycamore was launched in 2013, we were really just starting to have the conversation around military and veteran culture and helping people in the non-military world 
really understand the service members who were leaving the military. The earliest waves of post-9-11 combat veterans left the military around 2005 and 2006, but the true height of the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan occurred from 2006 to about 2011 or 12. And as Marjorie said, she was working with Marine Corps drill instructors who had multiple combat tours at that time. Not only that, the combat experience of post-9-11 veterans was unique compared to the past conflicts in that it was common to have multiple deployments to a combat zone and often two different theaters of conflict back-to-back. Add into that the advances in technology that brought the home front and the battle zone much closer together, the fact that this was the first sustained conflict fought by the all-volunteer force, the fact that the conflicts lasted for 20 years, which made it an intergenerational conflict, that was all coming together and into people's awareness in the early teens. And that's when PsychArmor started. So it was the right organization at the right time providing the much-needed service, and it still does. And this is a little bit of a two-part series because our next episode is going to feature the current CEO, Dr. Tina Atherall, who Marjorie mentioned in our conversation. Just as important as it is to recognize where we came from and to celebrate the success of launch and the sustainability, it's also important to hear about where we're going. We know as a nation from our experiences in supporting World War II, Korean War, and Vietnam veterans that outreach for support often occurs several decades after the ending of the conflict. And given that the youngest combat veteran of the global war on terror left Afghanistan in 2021 and is likely still in their mid-20s, we're going to be supporting these veterans for the next 50 years. And after that, there will continue to be populations that need support. You've heard on previous episodes of this podcast, where we are now, rightly so, providing the same employer-facing education about military and veteran spouse and partner employment that we did for transitioning veterans. And there's always room for improvement when it comes to supporting the mental health, wellness, and quality of life of those who served and those who support them. So make sure to take a listen to the next episode, which is going to be a good companion to this one. So I hope you appreciated my conversation with Marjorie. If you did, we'd appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's PsychArmor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the PsychArmor course, The Myths and Facts About Military Leaders, which is probably one of the courses that Marjorie wishes that she had had access to when she first engaged with the leadership of MCRD San Diego. This course identifies four of the most popular myths about military leaders and how they don't align with the reality of working alongside veterans and service members. You can find a link to the resource in our show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the PsychArmor website, psychummer.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with Psychummer on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by Psycharmor. Much appreciation to the team at Psycharmor that makes the show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator. Support and transcripts by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. 
Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.